some uh, dad jokes and uh, had some old dad jokes I was going to tell this morning, but unfortunately they're all retired. So, anyhow, after bringing their first baby home from the hospital, uh, the wife suggested to her husband that uh, he try his hand at changing diapers. And uh, she said, honey, it's your turn to change diaper. You want to try now? And the young father said, uh, you know what? I'm busy. I'll do the next one. And so the next time, the, a few hours later, the baby was wet. And she asked if he was ready to learn how to change diapers. And she said, are you ready to learn how to change these diapers now? And, and he looked at her with a puzzled look. And he said, finally, I didn't mean the next diaper. I meant the next baby. All kidding, I tried that, it didn't work. But all kidding aside, today is Father's Day, and we take time to, to celebrate the, the fathers in our lives. And, and like the father who never wanted to change a diaper, many young men are, are kind of thrown into fatherhood unprepared. You know, there's no instruction manual for being a father. I remember when we took our first child home from the hospital after a couple nights being in the hospital. and. Now they get you out after maybe one night, but then it was two. And uh, I remember loading little Jackson up in the car seat in the, in the car, and he was just a little, little thing in the car seat. And the nurse helped us load up and helped us get the car seat. And then they were kind of like, all right, bye. And, I, and I'm like, you're not coming with us? <laughs> like, like, we're on our own? Like, what am I supposed to do now, right? Uh, there's really no instruction book, as you know, for parenthood, although there are literal books you can buy. But there really is no instruction book. And you take your baby home and then you're on your own. But the Bible has much to say, however, about fatherhood, about raising a family and things like this. And as we continue to go through the book of Nehemiah, we come to a section today where the wall around Jerusalem had been rebuilt. People had started rebuilding their homes and moving back into the city. The people had rediscovered God's word and kind of had a little revival, and, and, and they were not only rediscovered God's word, they were starting to do what it said, amen. And in today's passage, they take a huge step in their faith as they have a public commitment, and they commit to several things as they restart, as they rebuild their community of faith. We are in Nehemiah chapter 10. I'm just going to read the first couple verses before we dive in here. Starting in verse 28, the Bible says that the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers their nobles and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses the servant of God and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes heavenly father as we continue to worship you today we thank you for this passage of scripture father I thank you for the whole story you've given us of Nehemiah uh, how we see this man, Lord, that you have called to lead, you have called to do difficult things, all for not only the benefit of the people, but for your glory. And so on this Father's Day, Lord, as we, as we celebrate the fathers in our lives and give honor to those fathers that we know, uh, 
we, we thank you that you have given us your word that shows us both in descriptions and both in prescriptions how we should model our lives and live our lives in accordance to what you have call, called us to do and taught us and told us to do because it's for our benefit lord as our heavenly father the laws you give us the commandments you give us are good for us just like the laws and the rules that many fathers give their children even though we may not like them at some point and sometimes it's for our benefit so father as we hear from your word today i pray that my words are your words today and that you fill me with your spirit as we hear from you and we ask these things in jesus name amen throughout your life there'll be times where god will give you opportunities opportunities to make private commitments uh, to make public commitments and today is a, such a passage that we're looking at and so this passage of scripture today i want to show you four commitments that we should consider making as we continue to emerge from the pandemic as we continue to rebuild our church rebuild our lives and all segments of society i want to give you four commitments that we need to consider making as christians if you are a child of god number one this is the overarching commitment that all the rest fall under. Number one, commit to align your life under God's authority. Commit to align your life under God's authority. You may say, you know, I've already done that. I, I, I've been saved, I've been baptized, I've committed to follow Jesus. But many times we need to take inventory of our own lives and ask ourselves, are we really committed to following Christ? Are we really aligning our life under the authority of God. This first commitment is the overarching commitment. And the next three fall underneath this one. But the first commitment we need to make is to align our lives under God's authority. Verse 28 talks about all the people, we just read this, who decided to come together and they joined, verse 29, they joined everyone and they says that they entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. Now, this is interesting because not only did they commit to do what God had said, they also voluntarily chose to ask God to curse them if they did not. When was the last time you did that? <laughs> Many times we'll pray to God and say, Lord, uh, please help me do this or please bring this into my life and bless me if you will but lord if i don't do this i want you to curse me that's not something we typically would have said but they took it so seriously that they invited that into their lives now the jews did have a a blessing curse relationship with god that was part of the abrahamic covenant but that's just not old testament law the new testament underscores the importance of doing what God's word says. James 1.22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you do the word, if, I mean, if you don't do the word, you hear God's word, but you don't do it. The Bible says you're deceiving yourself. You think you're doing what God wants you to do because you hear it, but you don't actually put it into place. So you are deceiving yourselves. Part, part of committing ourselves to living under the authority of God includes not not being attached not being aligned to all the world to all that the world has 
to offer. Look at 1 John chapter 2. He says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, the thing that the world offer, the things that the word, world offers is temporal. The things of God are eternal. You're not living primarily for this world. You're living for eternity. So committing your life under the authority of God is an eternal commitment. We can see easily that our entire world struggles with this. Entire world struggles with living for the things of the world. When was the last time you, you saw something on TV or social media that stressed the importance of an issue that would have eternal consequences? <laughs> Stress the importance of doing something that mattered in eternity, not just in this life. Everything that, that, that we're forced to see and read and view is all about what's happening now, what could happen in the near future. Very few things are brought to our attention about what should we do for eternity. So many people don't even want you to ask the question to them, right? What, what's your plans for eternity? They would, they would not really understand what you're saying. They wouldn't even know why you'd ask them that. They wouldn't even know if they believe in eternity. But God's word is different. He says the world is passing away. And the desires that you're going to have will pass away. So we need to continue to commit to align our lives under the authority of God. Number two, under that big umbrella, we have three more. Commit to align your family under God's authority. Commit to align your family. You might say, listen, well, I've already done that. <laughs> my children grew up in church or something, or I, I take my children to church, my grandchildren or whatever. But you know, every day is a new day to continue to do that. You know? You wouldn't uh, take your car, get it worked on, and they align your wheels and change your oil and all that kind of thing, and, and then you drive five to 10,000 miles, and then your car starts pulling, and, and you're like, well, I don't understand why this is happening. I got it aligned. Right? I, I got it aligned you know, a year ago or two years ago, so I don't know what's wrong with it. And you take it into the shop, and the, and the car would say, well, about every five, 10,000 miles, you need to get everything rebalanced and aligned. And, but I already did it. Right? Yeah, but it, it, it wavers. It, it goes off track. Same thing with our lives. We don't just say, you know, I did that once. Made a commitment to Jesus. Yeah, but your life is going to, to, to not align if you don't stay in the God's word and as the world comes at, at us. So we have to align our family, even though we already think we've done it, we have to continue to do that. Line your family under God's authority. Now, this is interesting. The next commitment they make under this is this interesting commitment not to intermarry their children with the other peoples of the land. That's what he says in verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take the daughters for our sons. Now, this is not forbidding them to marry people who may look different from them. That's not what this is about. This is forbidding them to marry the people of the land because the other people of the land were not 
believers in God. They didn't believe in God. So this is a, a commitment not to marry their children to the families of other faiths. God's word already taught this. Look at Deuteronomy 6. It says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So if you're supposed to do all these things, you teach your children, and you talk about them all the time, you talk about Jesus all the time, but then you're going to let them marry someone from another faith who doesn't believe in God's word. He doesn't believe in God. Well, you're going against what God's commanded. So they made an oath not to marry their sons and their daughters to other faiths. Teaching your children God's ways was an eternal commitment. Now, in those days, marriages were arranged. Sometimes I wish we had those days back, <laughs> jokingly. You know, today, a man may or may not ask the father's blessing to marry his daughter. You know that? He, he may ask. He may not. And even if the, if the father says no, that, that isn't, they can still get married, and there's no legal binding. They're not going to go to the courthouse and get married, and the judge is not going to say, well, did, your fa did the father say yes or no? <laughs> not going to happen. They're adults. They can get married. That's not how it was in biblical times. The parents decided who their sons, who their daughters would marry. And then when their son married. The daughter then came and lived with that father's family, and the daughter actually went off into uh, the, the father's family. So if you have daughters, you'd really never see your children again. If you had sons, your, your family would grow. So I guess I'd be like 50-50. I don't know, right? Half and half. But even though they decided this, even though they had some level of control over who their children married, they were still allowing their sons and their daughters to marry unbelievers. Okay, they have con complete control over this, right? Complete control. You know, I often joke because uh, my father-in-law, there was this little boy growing up um, uh, with my wife, and they grew up together. And uh, if he could have picked uh, her husband, he would have picked this guy, <laughs> right? He would have picked this guy. But she didn't like him. She liked me, praise the Lord, miracle of miracles, right? So, but, you know, so we all have, if we could pick someone, we'd have an idea. We, we would have a look, right? Well, this guy here, and this, he does this, and this. We all have, you know, and maybe you've had, you know, your children had boyfriends or girlfriends before, and you maybe you really liked one, and maybe some others you kind of breathe a sigh of relief, you know. But if we could have chosen, if we had control over it, imagine the person we would select for our child, right? But even though they had that control, they still were allowing their sons and daughters to marry unbelievers. So therefore, they make this commitment that they're not going to do that anymore. There's a lot of reasons why they could have done these marriages. Could have been financial gain from it. Could have been social gain from it. But they still were not believers. So they insert this into their oath, their commitment that God will not allow this anymore. This is also reflected in the New Testament. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness you know this idea of not being unequally yoked was impressed upon me in early age by my parents i remember when i was in college and if i would consider dating someone you know there were a lot of not a lot there were several girls where i really had no chance and then there were a few where i had a chance and 
I would want to know their spiritual background. That's kind of one of the things that I want to know quickly. And when I met Emily, and I had seen Emily around campus, and I always wondered, man, if I could ever get a chance to talk to her, right? Well, I got a chance to talk to her one day, and and, uh, we realized quickly that we were not only both Christians, which was great, because I had no idea she was a believer, just saw her around campus. But when I, when, when I knew that she was, when I realized that we were not only both Christians, that we were both Southern Baptists that had similar families. I mean, we were ready to get married right there, right? We were ready. We had similar upbringings, grew up in similar churches. Because when you marry a person, you marry the family, amen? <laughs> you marry the family. It's not just the person. But I had, I had that, but if I had not had that spiritual upbringing, and pressing upon me the importance of marrying another believer, perhaps I would not have. Perhaps I would have just gone for whatever I thought I needed or wanted. Now, Emily and I don't always agree about everything, of course. But we never argue, never argue, or have differences about our faith ever. Ever. Because we have the same faith, the same values. That's, that's never an issue. Now, we may argue about, you know, what to wear or what to eat, where to go or what to do. But the main big thing in our life, our faith, we never, ever argue. And it's pretty remarkable about it when you think about that. Many marriages are in situations where one spouse doesn't see eye to eye with how they should approach matters to faith. And that's not a, that's not a dead end. You can work through those things. But it's much harder if you have to. If you have children... As you know, our society doesn't allow arranged, forced arranged marriages. But you're still expected to assert influence on your children to marry another person who loves Jesus. You're, you're, you're expected to do that. As a family, I mean, some of you are grandparents, the same thing for you. Children are growing up in a very difficult world today. Very difficult world. And they need spiritual direction. They need involvement in church. They have all sorts of things coming at us. My daughter asked me the other day, wouldn't it have been great if you're my age when you're young and, and you could you know, FaceTime all your friends and have like five or six of them on the, on the FaceTime phone and, and that kind of thing and have all these cool things when you're in middle school? And I thought to myself, yeah, that sounds wonderful, right? But how would I would have developed so differently? You know you would have developed differently. And they're developing differently than, than, than we did. I remember getting online and listening to the fax machine sound, trying to get on the internet, right? You know how that is. They don't know what that even is. They're growing up in a different world. Lifeway uh, of the Southern Baptist Convention recently surveyed over 8,000 teens across the ages of 13 to 19 uh, across 20 countries. This is what they, and they, and they came up with a lot of things that they found. But they found one thing that said that 60% of teens, 60% of teens, 6 out of 10, struggle with depression, 60%. Now, I understand there's, there's real clinical depression and things like that, but the majority of this is not. It's just they're depressed. 60% of teens struggle with it, but 30% of committed Christian teens struggle with depression. Now, that seems high, but I'm a glass half full kind of guy usually. So I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> if you're a Christian, you have half the less than half the, your, your chance of being depressed is cut in half all because you're a christian that's an incredible difference if you think about that 60 percent of teens are going to struggle with it but they're a christian only 30 percent of christian teens 
struggle with. What, what, what an amazing percentage. 35% of teens, this is high, struggle with suicidal thoughts, 35%. But 12% of committed Christian teens struggle with suicidal thoughts. Again, that's less, that's more than half when you divide that. So these statistics are the same across various struggles. Teens are facing difficult times. But what I get from this is that Christian teens are faring better because they have hope in Jesus Christ. They have hope. And so many reasons why they have hope is because they have people like you taking them to church and reading the Bible to them and bringing them here. Those teens that are growing up in a house with no Christian influence are the ones that really have it difficult. It's the ones we need to be reaching, inviting to church, bringing them here. There's still work to do, though. The same study showed this, that 45% of Christian teens say that their family is the most important influence on the meaning of life. 45% of Christian teens say their family is the most important influence on the meaning of life. So even though they're faring better, less than half of Christian teens say their family is the most influential thing in their life. You know what is more influential than that would be the friends, YouTubers, <laughs> social media, things like that. More than half the Christian teens are being more influenced by the world than their Christian family. So there's still work to do. And then 8% of Christian teens, only 8, say the Bible or pastors are the most important influence on the meaning of life. Only 8. Now, they, can, they don't have to say a pastor is influential, but when they say the pastor or a Bible, only 8%. Say it's the most, and these are Christian teens. It tells us a lot of things. It tells us that we're not underscoring the importance of being in corporate worship as a whole, not just our, not our church necessarily, but we're not underscoring the importance of being in corporate worship, not underscoring the importance of being in our Bibles, reading our Bibles, knowing that God's word is living and active and powerful than any two-edged sword. And these statistics lead us into our next point which directly reflects these numbers. Number three, we need to commit to align our activities, our activities under God's authority. You know, we often bemoan church attendance and especially Wednesday night attendance and Sunday night attendance and many churches, we don't do what we used to do. And we wonder why, well, why don't people come as much during the week or on the weekends? Because 50 years ago, there wasn't much more to do than come to church. Things were closed. But now there are so many alternatives for our time. Right? So many alternatives. And not just during the week, on the weekends. There's activities to take your kids away every weekend. If you, if you Places to go, things to do. Look at verse 31. This is the next commitment they make. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. The commitment they're making is commitment to do no work on the Sabbath, which they're already told not to do. Remember, God's word said to remember the Sabbath, which was Saturday, and keep it holy. So what they're doing is they're resisting the temptation, resisting the temptation to make money or do something that they want to do on the Sabbath. That's what they should do. They should just 
rest, right? A friend of mine who's, who's an Orthodox Jew, I was emailing him some stuff and asked him to look at something for me. And, and uh, I emailed him on a, on a Friday afternoon. I said, I'll get back to you after Sabbath. <laughs> and he did. You know, Saturday night, he got back to me on it. Sabbath for them is Friday night to Saturday night. Man, you know, you know, he's Orthodox Jew and he doesn't believe Jesus is Messiah. But what commitment that is, right? We, if Christians could have some of that commitment. I'll get back to you. Not just on the Sabbath, but just having control over email. Having control over your social media intake. Putting limits in your life for those things, those activities. There are many distractions that will try to pull us away from resting in Christ. And, and one major reason Christian teens aren't going to the Bible or their family for advice or influence is because they're not here. <laughs> they're not in worship. They're not in Bible study. If you have young children, and many of you have young grandchildren or teens, this is a commitment that you will be faced with on a daily basis in our culture. Uh, my youngest daughter is an amazing athlete. I'm just, I'm, I have four children, so I'm not like, you know, just saying this as a dad on Father's Day. She's the best athlete in our family. Okay? When she goes to, to the playground, she races the boys and beats them and then tells them about it, tells me about it. I beat all the boys today, recess. Right. So she wants to do all kinds of different sports. And so we're like, you got, you got one sport to choose. So right now she's doing gymnastics and jumping and cheerleading and flipping and all this kind of stuff. And she went the other day and she learned a skill like the first time she tried it. Whatever her skills are, all these back things, back this and back that and all this. And she said, my coach said, I'm a really, my coach told me I'm either a really good coach or you're a really good person. Because the first time she tried it, she did it. And she said, then I went and did four and five of these things. And the coach wants her so bad to join a travel team that's going to travel every weekend and compete. And we're like, no, baby. It's not an option. We, you know, now, some of you might say, well, you're a pastor. You have to be here. I don't know. She doesn't have to be here. I mean, she could get a ride with someone else on the team. Her wife could take her every now and then. I would have to be here, but she doesn't. We could make it work if we really wanted to, but first off, the cost is enormous. And the time that she would spend missing, being in first kids' worship, being in here on Sunday, here in Sunday school, just so she could learn flips and jumps. We all are going to have this, and many of your families and your kids and grandkids are going to have these, these temptations. And so, is it worth sacrificing a child's spiritual upbringing just so they can have fun flipping around and jumping around. Is it worth it? I'm not saying this to make some people feel guilty. I'm just saying this is a time of commitments that God has given us today. A time where we can realign our lives, put it under God's authority because what you learn in this building, what you experience in this building and other churches is eternal eternal you know sports is not just the only temptation there will always be temptations to do other things rather than worship God you know there's 16 million Southern Baptists Did you know that we just had a convention this past week 50,000 churches 16 million Southern Baptists but on any given Sunday there's only about 4 million in attendance 
4 million. Where is everyone? And I'm not talking about pandemic. This has nothing to do with the pandemic. This is before even that. Well, you know where they are. They're everywhere else. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty again, but as your pastor, I'm just urging you that anything else you put above the worship of God is not worth it. And it will take from your spiritual life, and it will take from your children and your grandchildren's spiritual life, which will take from their quality of life as they grow up. And not only has eternal consequences, it has temporal consequences. Today, commit to align your activities under God's authority. And finally, number four, commit to align your finances under God's authority. Your finances under God's authority. There were three boys in the schoolyard. They were bragging about who had the highest paid father. That's what they were bragging about. My dad makes more money than you, and my dad makes more money than you. And the first boy said that my dad, well, what he does is he scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, and he calls it a poem, and they pay him $100. And the second boy said, well, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a song, and they give him $1,000. The third boy said, my dad is even better than that. He scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon, and it takes six or eight men just to collect all the money. (laughs) Who won? Who's better, right? All joking aside, I want us to look at the commitment the Jews make of their finances. This is the longest part of this section. I want us to read through this. Look what it says they do. It's all about their finances. Verse 32. We also take on ourselves, I love how they phrase that. We're choosing to do this. We take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons. These are, these are designated funds they're writing out right now <laughs> that they're giving to. Designated accounts. The holy things, the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. So some of you that have you know, fruit trees in your house, you give figs and oranges to me you bring it to the lord first (laughs) we also bring to the house of our god of our god to the priest who minister in the house of our god the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle as it's written in the law and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks verse 37 and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions the fruit of every tree the wine and the oil to the priests, the chambers of the house of our god and to bring to the levites the tithes from our ground for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites, and the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithes of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain and wine and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. Why? Because they say here, we will not neglect the house of our God. It's a commitment 
everything in their life, their families, their activities, their finances, it's going to go to God. Not all of it. We'd have no money left over to do anything. But it's going to go to God. They're committed as a body of believers to not neglect the house of God. You know, you're not truly aligned to the authority of God until your finances, until your bank account is aligned to God. Today, as we conclude, if you look at your sermon notes, I have a place at the bottom that says, I commit to blank. So if you have a bulletin that's in there, if not, you can write it down. I commit to blank. The blank's there for you. Studies show that if you write down your commitment and you somehow make it public, you're more likely to keep it. Did you know that? If you just keep it in your head, you may not keep it. If you write it down, you might keep it. If you make it public, you'll keep it. During our closing prayer, I want you to write down on your bulletin or in a journal or on your phone or whatever, I want you today to write down the commitment that you feel God's making you make today. You might say, I've already made that commitment before, but like I said earlier, you might have to read, it's a good time to realign. You can pray over it at our altar. You can take a picture of it. You can put it on social media and let people know. Making a commitment today, what a testimony that would be. Whatever you do today is we have an option, an opportunity to make a commitment, to put ourselves under the authority of God. Consider doing that today, and you'll be blessed when you do it. Heavenly Father, as we close our time together today, we thank you as we just go through Scripture, we see times of commitment. We, we see, Lord, times where we can realign our lives to you. I pray that in every heart right now there's something you're working in someone's life where they can commit today. It didn't have to necessarily be the areas we talked about, but something in their heart that they feel they should commit today. They'll write it down, that they'll remember this. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that through his death and burial and resurrection, that he has made all these things possible for us. That he's enabled us to have a right relationship with you. And we thank you that we're not under the same type of covenant the Jews were, where we're, we're blessed if we do well and we're cursed if we don't. We're thankful that we are blessed if we do well. Many times, Father, we're blessed when we don't. Yes, sin has consequences in our lives, but we thank you for the grace that you give us as being children of you. So, Lord, as we close our time together today, I pray that we would make the commitments today that we need to make. If there's one in here that's never placed their faith in you, never said, Lord, I, I've sinned, I recognize that, I need for your forgiveness, I need to be made right in relationship with you, that today they would make that decision. They would be saved and born again. Father, we love you. We give this time to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.